broke my sort of below my wrist there and I was high-fiving my elbow with my hand. And that's the last thing she needed to see me all mangled up there and with a baby and everything else. Two point two heavy responding code one. We have a lady unconscious. Topic approach one three two zero. Hi, I'm Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and this is a podcast series about mateship, about life in the bush, and about the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in servicing rural communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. Hit the roll bar and hit the frame and crushed it and broke it and the frame moved but my arm didn't. So yeah, it was the the pinch point for it. Yeah, so made for a good scar, that's for sure. Just 30 minutes from St George in southwestern Queensland is a small township called Nindagully. The Nindagully pub is world famous for the annual pig races that attract a large crowd every year. The day consists of live music, raffles, auctions, food, drink, fireworks, camping and, of course, pig races. The publican of the Nindagully pub, Steve Burns, and his wife, Debbie, have forged a huge reputation for the commitment that they have to support and raise donations for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. They do a brilliant job, so a big shout-out to the whole team. Nindagully is also where off-road racing happens, and this is where Trent Challenger comes in. This episode is about a man's passion, the challenges he has experienced that threaten to take away his livelihood, and the resilience and good humour that got him through. The story starts about 14 years ago when Trent was living in central Queensland and heard from a fellow baker that there was a bakery for sale in St George. G'day, Trent. Morning, Lana. How are you? I'm good. I must admit, about 15 years ago, I had the opportunity to work as a, as a lackey for a wonderful baker and I learned to make breads and pastries firsthand and I found real joy in the process of mixing the dough, watching it rise, beating it down, shaping it into loaves and then baking it till the whole kitchen just smelt divine and made my mouth water. I still love to make my own bread today. When did you get the baking bug and what do you love about it? Oh, I don't think I really got the baking bug. It was just one of those things I fell into. I mean, as a baker, you make a bit of a crummy wage. So <laughs> there's the first bakery joke of the day there. So you can tell I've been up all night. But uh, no, I'd sort of, I'd finished high school and uh, I was working a few jobs through high school and when I finished as well, still working and dad went and saw the local baker down the road when I was living in Brisbane there and um said, oh, can Trent come down and try some work experience? And I had a week there, signed up, and 23, hang on, I'm getting old now, 23, yeah, 24 years later, I'm I'm still baking, so yeah. It's stuck. It's stuck, yeah. Do you have things that you love about the job? I love working at night time. I just, that's what I like to do. My younger sister, she's a uh, chef by trade and she's now done her pastry chef apprenticeship and uh, she works in the city there, but she does split shifts and all that and I uh, thought, at night time, you're a baker, you've got no phone calls, no one's bothering you, you just look at your list, you you go and bake away and you get no issues, you you smell good of a morning there and you, you sleep all day or you try to when everyone else is running around in cars and phone calls, but you deal with it, you get get conditioned to it. So so what would your schedule be like? When would you start your shift? We normally start about uh, 10 p.m. at night till about 6 in the morning. It's, it's a good thing because we live at the bakery, so I'm never late for work, so I sort of 
sort of, oh, 10.30, yeah, I roll out of bed up again and the wife's nudging me. He's, come on, you're going to be late. You're going to be, i got to get up in the morning and wrap all this stuff. Let's get let's get moving. So, yeah, radio, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell me about the day when you heard about the bakery for sale. What made you want to head to southwestern Queensland to own your own bakery? Uh, we never thought about owning a bakery because I did my apprenticeship in Brisbane. Then I, I got out of it for a while. I was doing other jobs and working, uh, building pools and tennis courts. And I worked for Coca-Cola for a while, driving a forklift. And and I thought I'll do something else. And then I, th- I thought I'll go back to baking. I'll give that a crack again. And I, I looked for a, a, a job in the paper there and it was a a baker in central Queensland, I called him up and he said, oh, it's a Blackwater. And I said, where the hell's Blackwater? I mean, the furthest I'd been is Toowoomba sort of thing. And so I thought, oh, radio. So I, I got on a plane and flew up there and flew into Rockhampton. Then he picked me up from the airport and drove two and a bit hours, I think, out to Blackwater there. And like, I thought, wow, this is, this is country. I've never been here before. And I was there for two weeks and thought it was pretty cool. And so we, we had a house in Brisbane and packed it up and my wife and I, we had two little boys at that stage and off we went, had uh, all our belongings and our life hold there and off we went and we uh, were actually in a caravan for the first four months because it was just on the start of the mining boom. So there was no houses per se available in Blackwater. So we were four of us living in a caravan down the road from the bakery there. So it was a bit of a, it was a good experience and then, um, Another baker had started who'd come from St. George and uh, we were working one night and he just happened to mention that he'd come from down there and that the bloke was keen to sell and I thought, oh, because right. we enjoyed the be- the business up there but the owner was a bit sort of, how are you doing? So then he had a, a number of people go through the business and uh, I thought, oh, well, we'll come down and, yeah, sort of, uh, what's it, four to 15 years later we're still here now so – couldn't go anywhere else. It's it's a lifestyle. We just love it out here now. So The bakery in St. George, was it your first business where you're actually running your own business rather than being an employee? Yes, yes, it was, yeah. And I, I never thought, I don't know, looking back at it now because I was 26 and my wife was 23, and let me think of Roger, yeah, 23. And we had two little boys and these these young kids running a, a, a bakery that I've never had staff before and and looking at it now, I think, how do we do? We must have been naive and all that because how do we survive? We find it harder now than we did back then, I think, because we know more and there's more complications. We own our business now, so we're all happy and laughing now. But how we survived all those years back to thinking, wow, so we had staff that were double our age and they're working for us. And I thought, wow, that's a bit, bit out there. But uh, no, we survived, so we're still kicking on. So That's fabulous. Now, in addition to your baking, I understand you have a fair passion for racing. Could you tell me about that? I do, yeah. Anything with wheels, I loved it. Well, two wheels, not so much, although I turned 40 last year and bought myself a motorbike thinking, oh, yeah, midlife crisis and seemed like a good idea until my mum found out and, oh, geez, I was in trouble then because yeah, Christmas last year I we, we went away down – for Christmas for a week there to see mum and dad and all that and I rode my bike and this is it's not a long range but I've never done long range riding or anything like that it's only 500 k's I mean it's a lot to some people it's just down the road for us but riding it because I had my wife in her four-wheel drive my eldest son in his car and I was in between them and we went all the way to Brisbane and it was summertime and I had all the leather gear on and yeah it seemed like a good idea but I got to Brisbane and oh 
Uh, I'm, I took my bike trailer with me and brought it home back on the trailer because I thought I'm not riding home. Plus, Mum wouldn't let me ride home either, so <laughs> she wasn't too happy when we rocked up there. I was was in the bad books, and I, I turned from number one child in the family to yeah, Trent. <laughs> so, but uh, no, anything with the, with the motorsport. Yeah, um, probably about seven or eight years ago, after my first stint at off-road racing which didn't go too well I upgraded to a new car well a newer car a bigger car with a better roll cage and window nets and a bit of off-road racing they do like the Fink off-road race and things like that anything with a buggy so I've had it for a number of years but where we are and with the business I don't get to race as much as I'd like it more or less just sits in the shed and move around whenever I need to so so back 12 would it be 12 years ago or so you had a buggy and there were some off-road races that were happening um, in Ndigali. Is that right? Uh, no, it was just a – oh, there used to be a track at Ndigali for motocross and motorbike riding and it was a June long weekend, I think it was. Uh, we went down there and I had a little edge sidewinder. It was a little kit form buggy with a motorbike motor in it and myself and a couple of my mates and my, my two sons come down and we thought, I'll go camping for the long weekend there and take it down and have some fun. And, yeah, it didn't turn out to be a fun weekend, that's for sure. So <laughs> so what happened? Can you walk me through the events of that weekend? We got down there Saturday and we set up camp and all that and we're zipping around and this buggy, honestly, they're a death trap. They're good fun, but, yeah, you take your life in your hands when you're hopping these things. It sort of had a single rear shock on it and had no – suspension travel and uh it was a 650cc motor in it so it was an absolute weapon of a a little uh, buggy there and it was final saturday then first thing sunday morning i thought oh we'll go for a spin around and i went out along the road here and then i've come in and i've gone to turn left and hit uh, a melon hole and i overshared went and i rolled three times and by that uh, we had a i had a harness on but no window nets or arm restraints and my right arm popped out and as it went over, yeah, it was uh, clink and there goes, uh, broke uh, broke my sort of below my wrist there and my I was high-fiving my elbow with my hands. <laughs> and I got out of I don't know how I got out of the buggy, but I got out and all my mates come running over and Matt, my good mate, gave me his shirt and sort of I wrapped up my hand and sort of we tried to put it back together and, and there was just – from there, I sort of, I think it was just the adrenaline or whatnot. We got in the car and started um, heading back to St George because back then service was a bit sketchy with mobile phones and we got onto the ambulance and they finally met us, I think, about 15, 20 k's out of St George. And I still remember the officer who's still in town and he had a, a trainee ambulance um, nurse or recruit with him and that was her first sort of call out. And sort of, yeah, I, I really opened her eyes <laughs> that day. So, um, it, yeah, sort of, I can still remember bits and pieces, but getting into the hospital there and well, then. Well, the- hold on. Before before oh, you go I- into the hospital, <laughs> I just have some questions. Yeah. Um, so the buggy rolled. Yep. And your hand, did your hand or wrist break because it hit the road or because it hit the frame? It hit the roll bar and hit the frame and crushed it and broke it and, the frame moved, but my arm didn't. So yeah, it sort of um, it was the, the the pinch point for it. Yeah, so it made it made for a good scar, that's for sure. So were were you in a lot of pain? 
I was. I think it was more because it was cold as well, being June, long weekend. It was fairly cool out here. It's not freezing temperature, but it's cool. I only had short shirts on because it was a nice day. But um, I, I love the way Queensland's talk yeah. about cold weather. Anyway, go on. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we. I think it was more the adrenaline than the, seeing my hand touching my elbow, as in my right hand touching my right elbow. I thought, wow, that's not supposed to be like that. So, so it was bent over backwards all the way. Well, yeah, pretty much, yeah. So, and it was um, bones sticking out there and everything else. And I thought, there's blood everywhere. And um, it was lucky that we didn't actually sever any tendons or major arteries that I, that's what the doctor said to me. So, um, it's just the way it, where it broke it was just the, the right spot. So, not that you wanted to break anyway, but. Uh, one of those things. Okay, so you get you meet the ambulance halfway to St George, and they get out. And what did they do? They gave me some that little whistle, whatever it is that they that your painkiller. So I was sucking those things down like lollipops there, and we got into the hospital here, and uh, uh, I, I was blacking in and out because I think just the, the pain and the adrenaline. And the doctor, he's still in town here, and sort of we reminisce sometimes about it, but. Um, I remember too because my wife came in and we just had our baby girl only a few weeks earlier. So, and that's the last thing she needed, sort of to see me all mangled up there and with a baby and everything else. And because my two boys were still down at Nindy Gully with my other mates there. So, she, oh, where's the kids? What's going on? So she was freaking out. But, uh, and then they uh, called the RFDS and, and they flew me out down to uh, Toowoomba. So, and then it was, uh, a couple of surgeries and everything else. They put some plates in there and surgeries to figure all my muscles up there to get it going again. And then I got, because I couldn't answer my phone because I was sort of, I was in and out of it. And then mum and dad were freaking out because they, I didn't normally speak to them a couple of times a week there and I hadn't spoken to them for a while. And they, they had a sense that something was wrong there because Elizabeth was down with me and oh, it was a whole bit of a shambles. So. Had you ever flown with the Royal Flying Doctor Service before? No, 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 never really. We knew a little bit about it, but I'd never had, I'm no, knock on wood, fit and healthy, never any issues there. So, but uh, it, was a, it was a first for me, but um, no, it's sort of now where we are too, where the bakery's located, we're pretty much over the flight path for the runway in town. And at night time, you can always hear when the RFDS come to town, they fly and they're coming in low and fast. So, oh, oh something's gone wrong or something's happened here. So I always know when they come to town because what other plane would be flying at 2 o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> someone's had a bit of a boo-boo. Do you remember that flight with the RFDS or were you in and out of consciousness at the time? Uh, I sort of remember. I remember it because they'd mentioned to me that they were were coming, going to Toowoomba because they were out west somewhere but they detoured back to pick me up because otherwise it wouldn't mean a plane for a couple of hours or a day or something and I remember that yeah, the ambulance met them out of the airport there and put me on I was still on those little green lollipop things whatever they do there but um the plane flight I don't really remember I was on a gurney but um yeah sort of in and out yeah and then I ended up on Toowoomba and I was just a bit of a blur now so understandably <laughs> Now, so you ended up having surgery. Was it multiple surgeries or? Yeah, there was five surgeries, I think, all together, yeah, because they sort of had to open and then close and put plates in and then because uh, I'd mangled all the, the muscle ends and all that to my fingers and all that, they had to do a couple of micro surgeries, I think they call them. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not a baker, not a doctor, but 
they put it all back together. I've got a, a fantastic looking scar there, but um, my hand works just as well, which is lucky because it'd be hard to bake with one hand and roll dough with one hand. And lucky I'm left-handed, so I can still write. Not that it's that fantastic anyway, but a uh, bit of chicken scratching there. But I understand what I write sometimes, but yeah, the wife doesn't. So <laughs> I don't write birthday cards. Elizabeth can do that. So <laughs> Okay. So what was the recovery like? Was there a lot of physiotherapy and that sort of thing to get the strength back in your arm? And Yeah, we had um, physio back in St George here at the hospital. They had a, a, a rehabilitation sort of section at the hospital, which was fantastic, and I'd go there twice a week there and they'd give me exercises to do to get my muscles back in my hand there and all the movement. And I'm, to this day, I mean, I've got no issues. Like some people have surgeries and they've got like sore hips and whatnot, I'm – Knock on wood, again, <laughs> it's all fine. I'm still high five. I can still do what I normally do with it all, So, which is lucky because looking, I never got any pictures. No one got – which I'm sort of glad that no one did. I sort of wouldn't want to remember it, but looking at the scar every day, it's sort of a six-inch scar on the side of my wrist, uh, my lower forearm there. It reminds me of it. I can still feel the plates in there that hold my bones together because they'll all be there forever. But um, it reminds me, yeah, watch yourself, Trent. You're not um, not that much of a good driver. So, Now, I understand around the same time that you bought the bakery in St. George, you also bought a wonderful Model T Ford. Can you tell me about that? Yes, yeah, we. Uh, it's a 1917 um, C-cab Model T Ford. I, I found it on eBay. It was down in Gosford, New South Wales, and we'd never known about Model Ts. And I'd actually borrowed the idea off uh, Tom O'Toole, who owns Beechworth Bakery down in Echuca in Victoria. He's got a Model A Ford that he parks out the front there and Dad knew about it. And so I started looking and I found this one. I thought that'd be perfect. The guy was selling it, wasn't running, had planned on restoring it and just ran out of time and money and effort. And so we got it and we brought it back to Brisbane and it um, sat mum and dad shed for about two years because we had no idea about Model Ts, didn't know the first thing about it, how to drive it, what to do. And uh, we joined the Model T Club of Queensland and, and started restoring it. And I was practicing in the backyard one day, and mum and dad live in Acreage in Brisbane. And we're driving around the backyard, and she'd chug along, and we'd come back up the hill, and it'd stop dead. So oh, we couldn't figure it out. We got fuel, we got spark, but we didn't realize where the fuel tank was. It was gravity fed to the carburetor, so you get no fuel no matter what. So, because the story was back in the day, Model T's used to reverse up hills because you couldn't get fuel to the carburetor. So we thought, oh, well, back to the drawing board. So, we were going to put a, a low-volume fuel pump into it just to keep feeding fuel to it. So, no, I can't really do that. So I had a new tank made up that sat behind my driver's seat up high. So I always had fuel feeding to the carburetor. So we got that. And in 2009, I think it was, we drove our model, my Model T plus 12 other ones from the Queensland Model T Club from Brisbane out to St George. took us two and a half days to get out here. So And it's been here ever since. So I drive it almost every day, more so during the tourist season, during our sort of winter months when the, the grey nomads come through and it sort of, yeah, it's all well, it's Australia's most photographed and most driven Model T. So, and since I bought mine, Dad had so much fun restoring it, he bought himself one. Sorry, started with one. He's got four now. So he's spending all the kids' inheritance. He claims he's a poor pensioner, but he's 
mum and dad, I seem to go on away every weekend doing a Model T trip. Well, they call them tea parties. He's going here, there, he's going everywhere. I said, oh, Dad, I said, you, you cry poor, but you're going here, you're doing this, you're buying that for your car. I said, oh, it's like, oh I've got to spend it before I don't want you kids to have it. So, And you use that Model T to raise money for the flying doctor? Yeah, well, after after my little mishap on my buggy there, I thought there's got to be some way we can sort of give back to the RFDS for virtually saving my life. And I thought, well, if I'm going to use my Model T for a promotion and taking people for a lapse, well, I'm sure we can – charge them sort of a small donation. So we charge $5, which is everyone's happy to pay. Some people give more and are happy enough, just enough to donate. And, yeah, we sort of we take them for a lap around town. It's only a sort of a quick sort of 5K lapse or thing, but it takes us half a day. You could take a pack lunch with you. No, it's not that long. But uh, we go down past the river there and I'll show them all the sites around town and I've done the lap around town that much that I know every bump in the road and what to avoid and, and who to avoid sort of. I think the police are worried that I'm a hoon in town because I'm cutting that many laps around, just round and round we go. But um, it's, it's good fun. It's been a bit strange last year because they've done some work on the terrace, which is on, on the riverbank there, the road there. They've dug it all up. So it's hard to find a good spot in the road because there's potholes and tracks and and the Model T is not really comfortable on road. Well, it is, especially with the thick um, seat padding, but because there's such a narrow tyre and they run a – a tube of about 50 PSI, so you feel every bump in the road as you're going along there. So I try to dodge them as I go along there, but some you just can't miss. So. Well, luckily St George doesn't have too many hills. so <laughs> No, it's not, nice and flat. So, And I've three times I think I've run out of fuel. Like I carry a spare little five-litre jerry can with me, but my fuel gauge is a timber stick that I found on the side of the road that I just stick in the top of the fuel tank so I know how much fuel I've got and Sometimes when you you take people for rides, I lose track of it, and I remember I was, I was going along one day, go 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 go, go. So, oh no, and I pulled to the side of the road, and the worst thing is the outlet for the fuel tank is on the uh, driver's side, so you pull off to the left side of the road, you're the wrong side of the road to try and you got to shake the car a bit to get the fuel to go down into the outlet, so it's uh, it's always a fun time with these cars, right. Now, you recently won the RFDS Queensland Local Hero Award for your ongoing support with that Model T Ford. Do you get a lot of people that come to your bakery just to specifically get a ride? Oh, it's amazing how many people travel out or have heard about it or have had friends heard about it. Oh, come out, go for a drive in it, check it out. And it's, it's I, I absolutely love driving the Model T, especially taking people for laps because most times you see them at a show or on display sort of thing, they're not driven around. But, uh, I mean, mine's not the most prettiest in the world. We actually had our national Model T rally in 2019 up at Miraburra. Our Queensland Model T Club ran it and there was 146, I think, or about that, Model Ts from all around Australia. I, I didn't get to go to that one. I went to the previous one down in Victoria but it's amazing. There's that many Model Ts. Oh, there's still more, I'm sure there are, but that many Model Ts in one place and not one was the same. Like you know, over in America you think, oh, they're all black Model Ts, they're all the same, but in Australia, I mean, over in the States as well they're all different, but there's all the little quirky ones and different things and Dad's Dad's Model Ts, he's decked them out. He's got a one-ton truck that he's decked out like a little tucker truck. So he's got a coffee urn and because he did the catering or they set up, a part of the club to do the catering so he had tables it's amazing what dad put all together he looks like a 
he's built a frame on the back of this truck and he's got corrugated iron that encloses, looks like a food van type setup there and the sides lift up and all that there and they had a great time. I was, I was spewing that I missed it, but uh, that was our busy time of the year so I couldn't get away, but uh, <laughs> no, Dad loves it. We actually, um, in 2018, it was, yeah, 2018, our Queensland Model T Club had a rally. We had 24 Model Ts. We drove from Brisbane to Cameron's Corner and back. Oh, that was a trip. Never doing that again. It was good fun, but, yeah, just rough on the car, rough on us, and it was cold and long and the dirt, but uh, I thought I've never been to Cameron's Corner, especially in a Model T, and I thought I've got to do this with Dad, and we had an absolute blast. I mean, kept the swags on the side of the road every night, cooked our own dinner. I thought really, really rough on it, and you'd be driving when we drove from uh, Nakundra Pub to Tipperborough, that was all dirt road, that's outback. There's not a car to be seen, not a sight, just dirt and hills and nothing. And it was fantastic. Just to watch these little cars just putting along, just little puffs of dust in the sky. And I had a lot of videos and recorded it all, and it was just terrific. So That's fabulous. So what do you, your family, your children and your wife, how do they feel about the racing and the bakery and the just life in St George? Uh, well, we've got four kids now. We come to St George with two boys. We've got four now. I've got another son and daughter. My eldest son, Cody, is turning 19 soon. He's actually my apprentice. It's apprentice baker. It's not what he wants to do, but he's helping mum and dad out So, because he went to school in Brisbane there. He, he stayed with mum and dad in Brisbane because we couldn't afford boarding school. I'm only a poor baker, so couldn't afford that. So mum and dad looked after him for us and my second eldest son and now my daughter has just started in school in Brisbane. I think my parents are a sucker for punishment, but I, I think they're expecting us to spoon feed them when they get a bit older now, so to, to repay the favour, but uh, they still charge us enough for, for boarding and uh, food. And, no, it's not that bad, but um, no, where we are, it's we couldn't go. Like We still own a house in Brisbane, but we live at the bakery, which is good and bad, but we're right in the centre of the town. The kids used to walk to school. We've got a river, a street away from us. We used to go skiing and fishing and it's a, it's a fantastic river in there. And the lifestyle is just totally different. I mean, everyone's got time for everyone. You always have a chat. Everyone knows everyone's story. Everyone knows everyone's secret too. So <laughs> you can't keep too much hidden in, in these small towns. But uh, we're not locals, but uh, – we're well known, but overall we're happy. I mean, we don't get socialised because we work pretty much seven days a week, but uh, we're always out and about doing things. But we'd like to be more downtime, but we're slowly getting there now in place because I've got myself, Cody, my apprentice, I've got another apprentice and I've got another baker. So I'm, I'm well set up that I can sort of not have to work so hard as, as I used to, which is good and bad because then the girls in the shop think, oh, Trent, he never works, he never does anything, but – I've done my time, so I sort of I, de- I delegate now. So. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that somebody can live with their whole family in a location like St George for 15-something years and still say, well, we're not a local, but, you know, we're a blow-in. It's funny how small townships, you really have to have lived there for a generation or two before they say, oh, yes, you know, they're a local. Now, I have one last question before we go, and that is the accident that you had has that led you to be a little bit more safety conscious with your own racing and with your kids and making sure that that sort of circumstance doesn't ever occur again? 
Oh, I, th- I think so. I'm like I'm still I, like I said earlier there that I bought myself a bike. I'm thinking, and I watch too many YouTube videos of accidents, and I'm thinking, <gasps> and you can see those accidents before they happen. I think where, and I'm so I'm aware of what I do when I'm out on the road. Then I'm aware of other drivers because it's amazing, especially being out in the country. It's not so fast paced, but if we ever go to Brisbane and whatnot how hectic it is down there because I grew up there as a kid and how it's all changed now and the, the traffic and the, the, no one's got time for everyone. It's just rush, rush, rush. Out here it's a bit more slower, but you're still aware of things, but it's just uh, a whole different way of life out here, which is we enjoy. It's sort of we wouldn't have what we have in Brisbane like we've got out here. So we I've got room to move. We've got a massive space, massive bakery compared to, what you get in Brisbane there and, and the kids enjoy it. They're, they're good so they always see us at work. They come in and help slice bread of the morning there. They'll work on the weekends and I'll pay them in donuts or cream buns so it's, it's cheap labour so they'll learn the family trade. <laughs> but, uh, oh, they enjoy it. So And all the kids, all their mates at school know who we are. Oh, yeah, it's a, I'll drop the kids off at school in the Model T sometimes and uh, they always give it a good wave there or I'll, I'll honk the horn. So they're pretty famous actually. A couple of years ago when my eldest son was in primary school and my other son was in primary school, uh, Dad's got a 1929 Model A fire engine that was actually based in St George here uh, in the early 70s and Dad actually saw it at a show in Toowoomba. It wasn't for sale or anything but he saw it there and it was all restored and Dad said, oh, that's St George, Queensland? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, check, had to have it. So he bought it off the bloke and so I went to search out the history of it and what happened was it was decommissioned by the fire brigade in town and given to the local heritage centre. And then, then one of the blokes that was a part of the heritage centre said, oh, look, I'll take it, restore it and get it all back. It uh, disappeared. He'd actually sold it to a guy at Bolland. And then from Bolland, it disappeared again and no one knew where it went. And um, it ended up in Toowoomba where uh, like Lindsay restored it Gorgeous car. I mean, the paint job, brass, everything, million dollars. And so I called Dad and said, Dad, Dad, you bought a stolen fire truck. So but oh, it's all it's all fine now. But we actually, um, the, the gentleman's passed on now who actually stole it in the first place. But uh, back in the day, we went and saw him because he used to be a, a land valuer in town. And he'd apparently acquired a lot of things over the years that weren't his. And we went and saw it because it was missing the fire bell and the fire captain's hat. So we went to see him one day and said, oh, look, any chance we can have a look at the hat? And the bill, oh, get off my property. I carried on. So all right, cool, no worries. And about half an hour later, the uh, one of the local police officers come and saw me. He said, Trent, is your dad here? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, we had reports you threatened a man's life. I said, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So he, did, he was losing his marbles a bit, I think he was, but um, – so anyway, he passed and a couple of years later, his wife was still in town. So we thought, oh, we'll try again. We'll go see if we butter her up there. And went and had a chat, had some photos of the Model, model A and said, oh, look, your, your late husband had something to do with this. So I think the bell and the hat's here. Would you like it? Said, yes, yes. Oh, thank you very much. Because it's all matching numbers there. So he's got the whole lot now. And he actually brought it out for a show, our local show one year. And it was one morning uh, the kids were going to school and I thought, Dad, We'll put them on the back of the fire truck and take them to school. So Dad took my two older boys. They stood on the back of the fire truck and I followed behind the Model T. Eh, not legal, but anyway, country towns, you get away with this stuff. 
and we uh, took him to school in the back of the fire truck and Dad had the hat on and his whole suit and they, and they were the coolest kids at school that day because getting dropped off on the back of a fire truck, it's all, and they thought it was fantastic. So things like that wouldn't happen in the city. but um, No, they wouldn't. And we've had it uh, down at the uh, uh, RACQ Motorfest and I was down there, didn't have my Model T but Dad had his Model A and we drove from his house in the western suburbs over to New Farm along the uh, Centenary Highway and we had, because it's got no roof, no windows, no nothing, it's like an old fire truck just with a ladder sticking through the top of it there and we had those aviator goggles on and the amount of looks and photos we got, it was fantastic. It was like top speeds about 60 if you're lucky. We're getting peak hour traffic sort of on a Saturday there and people driving past it, we're giving a good old wave there and it was so much fun. I mean, vintage cars, absolutely. People who have got time for them, they're happy enough to slow down or let you in or yeah. give you sort of a, a bit of a wave. So you can never go wrong with these old cars. That's fabulous, Trent. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today about your adventures and, and life in St. George. Um, I love your sense of humour and your outlook and, and at some point I'm going to swing past St. George and check out your baked goods and ask for a little trip around St. George in the Model T. It'll be here, yeah. Well, I'm actually putting up a, uh, a carport in the front yard now because I normally leave it because we live beside the bakery, so it parks on the grass every day. I have to park on the grass because it drops too much oil, so I don't want to stay in the concrete and let it kill the grass, it's right, but um, I'm putting a, a little transportable carport up now because it's I leave it out all the time. It's getting a bit weathered, so I want to look after a bit more for a, a hundred and... 104-year-old car now, so she's getting a bit on in age. So, Thank you so much, Trent. You're quite welcome. It's bedtime now for me, so yeah. You go and sleep well. Yeah. The Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone who you think will love it too. Thank you for listening to The Flying Doctor podcast.